Good morning. It's Monday, October 16th, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of the Cantor Managed ETF Portfolios. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. The presentation you're about to see and hear has been prepared by Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors, LP, for use with investors and financial advisors who are each expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice or a recommendation to purchase or sell any security. Well, let's get into it. The markets were mixed last week to mostly higher. Uh, S&P 500, U.S. large cap stocks, along with the MSCI EFI, international large cap stocks, both positive. Emerging markets caught a bid. However, mid and small cap stocks domestically were down. The U.S. S&P small cap index, the S&P 600, now negative on the year. Mid cap stocks not far behind, but double digit gains in the large cap U.S. It's interesting now because we're going into earnings season. And it's largely expected that large cap U.S. companies, which today, of course, are primarily technology companies, uh, are going to be very strong again. And so you can see they're hanging in. And as we speak this morning on Monday, markets are trading significantly higher. Um, in the world of bonds, bonds caught a bid last week as rates kicked back down a little bit from a recent surge. The aggregate bond index was up almost 1%. And the 20-plus year U.S. Treasury index was up over 3%. Still, though, at bonds as a whole, down for the year. Surprisingly, though, high-yield bonds are still positive for the year. Normally, high-yield, the high-yield index trades somewhat in sympathy with, let's say, mid- and small-cap stocks, and somewhat in sympathy with the bond market, and it's just diverged from both. The other thing about high-yield is it's often a leading indicator to a recession. Why? Because the spread, how much they yield versus the U.S. 10-year Treasury, tends to widen ahead of a recession. Well, based on this, the bond market, at least the high-yield bond market, is not yet predicting a U.S. recession. Let's get into some of the economic data released last week. We'll start with the National Federation of Independent Businesses Small Business Optimism Index. That's a mouthful. But it fell from 91.3 in August to 90. 90.8 for the September reading, about in line with the expectations. You can see, though, we're down from 107, 108 back four or five years ago. It's April of 2018. It's been a steady decline during that period. Um, yet, we haven't entered the rece a recession since we did back, obviously, in the COVID recession of 2020. What are respondents saying? Respondents are saying they're worried about credit conditions, the availability to finance their business operations, they're worried about the overall economy, and they're worried about inflation. But despite that, they're not slowing down the hiring of people, and they're not laying off people. And this is what we mean when everybody says, well, the U.S. economy just keeps strong, and the Fed can continue to keep rates high or raise them further because jobless claims, weekly claims for unemployment came in at a very, very low number again last week, 209,000. Continuing claims very low at around 1.7 million. As you can see, coming off the recession of 2020 from the COVID-related shutdowns and the massive layoffs, really now, since late 21, so almost two years, we've been hovering over this low 200,000 
job claims per week. That's a sign of a healthy economy. It's a sign of a healthy jobs market. And remember, the Fed has a dual mandate. Uh, besides being the lender of last resort, the Fed's mandate given to it by Congress is full employment, which we clearly have, uh, and monetary stability, you know, i.e. contain inflation or deflation. So with employment full, jobs plenty, layoffs very, very low, the Fed feels it can focus squarely on uh, the inflation front. Speaking of the inflation front, we had two important uh, releases last week related to that. Let's start with the producer price index or PPI. The blue line represents the headline PPI and the red line represents the core, which omits uh, food and energy because food and energy are more volatile and it gives the viewer a better idea of the trend. Clearly the trend is coming down. However, the PPI in September was up a half a percent, significantly higher than the three tenths of a percent gain. And the year over year gain, this is the blue line again, it's 2.2 when the estimate was 1.6. You can see everything spiked higher last month. And surprisingly, the markets kind of held in there and the futures markets didn't suddenly predict more interest rate hikes. And I'm gonna to get to that in a minute. The core, which is more important, the core up three tenths in line with expectations and is 2.7% year over year. The estimate was 2.3. So that unfortunately, that was higher, much higher than expected. Uh, and again, the Fed's target is two. Fed's target is two. We also got CPI or consumer prices here, CPI up four tenths, worse than three tenths expected, and is 3.7 year over year. The estimate was 3.6. That wasn't a positive. That wasn't a B by any stretch. And core, again, more important, that's the red. You can see still obviously trending lower. So that was a positive. Uh, it was up three in line with expectations and is 4.1 year over year, right in line with expectations. And it was down from the prior month of 4.3. So that's probably the reason, you know, you got this sort of not so good PPI, not so good headline CPI, but okay, an okay move the right direction on core CPI. And I think that kept the markets from sort of uh, reacting more negatively, which they easily could have done. We also got import and export prices. Import prices are up a tenth of a percent. Uh, they're 1.7% lower than a year ago. So that's solid. Export prices up seven tenths of a percent, down 4.1% from a year ago. So that's progress and gain there. But what do the futures markets say uh, about inflation? And, and really, more importantly, what do they say about the Fed's intention to, to uh, hike rates or cut rates? Well, there's a meeting on November 1st. Today is the 16th, so two weeks from now, essentially. And you can see there the percentage chance there is 8% chance of a hike virtually no chance and virtually no chance of a cut. More than likely, we stay at this pause with this target rate for Fed funds at five and a half percent. Then there's the December meeting and there's still discussions, 29% chance of a hike, virtually no chance of a cut. Same with January. And then you get into March and May and the, the odds now move towards cutting. Fed funds rates expectations, you can see going down from where we are at five and a half. You can see there's five, there's four, eight, there's four, six. 
These, all of these markets change all throughout the day and can move significantly based on incoming economic data. But as of today, as of right now, it looks like the Fed is going to pause. It looks like people are still predicting an economic slowdown and a recession at some point, but we're not seeing the jobs losses as they showed previously. And if so, Fed would then move to start cutting the Fed funds target rate. And we look to the break-even market. This is where the break, inflation break-even trade is at what yield or what expectation for inflation. You can see the blue line is the two-year. Now that's expected to be right in line with the Fed's target, just a little above, 2.13%. But you can see it's been trending really higher since June. That's a long time to not see progress. We had great progress, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, and then it shot back up. Two-year is less indicative and less valuable, quite frankly, in looking at the longer-term assumptions. Instead, we like to look at the five and 10-year. Those two are not making progress either, and that is going back really to late spring, early summer, still stubbornly above the Fed's target rate of 2%. So for this reason, I don't see any need or any likelihood that the Fed cuts anytime soon. Even the futures market I just showed you is not, it's not more than 50% chance of a cut. They're talking 25, 30% chance of a cut sometime six months from now. And that obviously can change and change a lot. The other thing we heard last week was uh, the University of Michigan. Consumer sentiment fell from 68.1 to 63, below expectations. Current conditions fell, expectations fell, and why we're still concerned about uh, inflation. But surprisingly, the equity markets are staying strong. Why are they staying so strong? Because we're moving into earnings season. And as of the last three, four, or five quarters, as we've expected earnings to come down, they just haven't. Earnings expectations, earnings estimates, and actual earnings continue to be very strong. So we get these little corrections. We had, you know, go back, 7% correction here, seven and three quarters percent correction here. Market goes to a new high, market goes to a new high. And then what do we have again? We had about another seven and a half, eight percent correction. And we're starting to rebound from that. And now, of course, we're up a couple uh, hundred Dow points as we speak, 50 points you can see there in the S&P this morning. And we're, we're now moving up. Will this pattern repeat? Will we then go to another new high? Well, this earnings season may have a lot to do with it. Whether or not the Fed hikes our, us into a recession might have a lot to do with it. But, but the Fed hikes, the bank failures, war in the Ukraine, now war in Israel, uh, have not yet really hurt S&P 500 earnings. This tech is a very... A uh, very secular thing that's going on, whether it's the internet, whether it's 5G, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's robotics, um, we continue to see this economic growth and this profit engine. These companies are primarily US domiciled. So we're taking a look here, this graph, the white line is the estimated forward earnings for the S&P 500. And you can see at this high now, based on the scale on the left, 237 a share is an all-time high forward estimate. 
That's updated as of this morning. Why does it matter? Well, markets, what's the valuation of the market based off the estimate? Traditionally, uh, or actual earnings tend to beat the estimates in the aggregate, and then the analysts tend to rise. It's not always, it's not going to happen every time, but that is, it's sort of on the margin, happens more often than not. And so the forward multiple in the S&P 500, which was 22, 23 back in late 2020, remember 21, the markets were rallying and then the markets really got hurt in 22, started to come back and now corrected. We're only looking at an 18 forward multiple. Admittedly, a 4.5% 10-year treasury provides tremendous competition for investment dollars, right? Because 45 or 5% guaranteed on a U.S. Treasury versus an earnings yield of the S&P 500 in the same range with the uncertainty, yet the stock market continues to perform very well. We're having a great year. I did get a number of calls and emails last week that asking me what is the likely impact, what would we do differently in the portfolios, what adjustment might we make based on what's happening in Israel with the terrorist group Hamas and the terrorist group Hezbollah. And our firm, you know, Cantor Fitzgerald, uh, understands the violence of terrorism, unfortunately, all too well. As you, most of you know, on September 11th, 2001, Cantor Fitzgerald was the victim of another barbaric act of murder and violence. Today, our firm stands clearly and strongly with Israel against terrorism. And uh, we are donating $1 million uh, to charities engaged with relief efforts in Israel. If anybody is interested in doing the same, you can visit our webpage, cantorrelief.org forward slash donate dash now. There is a checkbox where you could check the Israeli relief fundraiser box, follow the prompts and make your donation. As a firm, uh, we are proud to stand with the Israeli soldiers and the people of Israel. Now, on to more, more of the economic, uh, more of the dispassionate uh, review of this situation. The Israeli economy is $522 billion economy. It's small, but it's wealthy based on its small population. Uh, that economy has been expanding greatly uh, from $105 billion uh, in 1995 to over 500 billion expected this year. Um, the terrorists that attacked um, Israeli people are not a state entity, but they are organizational entities uh, that are financed by a state entity, Iran. Iran has about a $388 billion economy, but due to sanctions and pressures and other reasons, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran's uh, economy is down very significantly uh, over about the last decade, from 644 down to 388. Israel is a democratic country. It is a capitalist country. It is, of course, an ally of the United States. Because of its wealth, its might, its educational base, etc., Israel does have one of the world's most powerful militaries. It is bolstered uh, not only by its own economic output, its ability to produce arms, but by nearly $4 billion of military aid every year from its very staunch ally, the United States. 
as an important ally of the United States, uh, the U.S. is stepping up and has sent the world's largest aircraft carrier to the region. This is not to escalate the situation, but this is meant to be a de-escalation. And this matters because markets are interpreting it as such. The USS Joe Ford is there to dissuade others who might see a weakness or a weak point or we think about joining in, most particularly other terror groups in the area, uh, factions from Lebanon, Syria, and of course, Iran, uh, which is the main financial backer of these organizations. The U.S. is also sending a guided missile cruiser, the USS Normandy, uh, and destroyers, Hudner, Ramage, Kearney, and Roosevelt. It's a very significant commitment that the U.S. has made very, very quickly. Also sending the most advanced fighter jets in the world, F-35s, F-15, F-16, and A-10 fighters. So people ask, should I be doing anything? Is this going to get worse? The answer is, of course, we never know. We do not know. But I like to look to the markets to see what the, in aggregate, is being expected. And because markets are behaving well and functioning normally, uh, I think the markets see this as uh, U.S. and other diplomatic efforts to, to, uh, to keep Iran out um, are, are likely to be what prevails. And uh, however, if it were to go the other way, were to, were to, if Iran were to attack Israel, as an example, this would be a very significant, very large war that would, be, that would bring in the United States. Initially, a geopolitical event like that would destabilize equity markets and fixed income markets, bond markets, US Treasury market in particular, traditionally would catch a very significant bid. So the US Treasury market would go higher in a situation like that in a further destabilizing situation and the US equity markets would likely correct. I do not believe that these kinds of things are tradable events, nor would I want to trade them or profit from them in any way. I don't think they're tradable events because geopolitical events, event, events which destabilize markets tend to give a disproportionate impact to the markets, but it also tends to be very quickly reversed, making it virtually untradeable. I encourage investors to remain long-term, to remain focused on the growth, you know, long-term growth uh, prospects of both the US economy, the Israeli economy, all economies which embrace forms of democratic capitalism around the world, and, and focus on the secular changes and the secular earnings and growth potential uh, while maintaining a balanced portfolio, which includes fixed income elements. Okay, moving on. This week, economic data, we're going to start with New York State manufacturing. Uh, that's already out. It disappointed a little bit here this morning. Uh, retail sales are important. Industrial production utilization, business inventories, housing below 50. That's negative sentiment there. Starts and permits. The Fed's beige book, which is the board book for the voting members that they get in advance of that November 1st meeting. Then we've got jobless claims like we do every Thursday. Philly Fed expected to be negative, just like New York was negative this morning, and existing home sales, and then nothing on Friday. Essentially, what we're really doing is moving into earnings season. We had the financial start last week, a couple of the big ones. We had Charles Schwab 
uh, beat this morning, a big financial. Um, so thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, we're available as a podcast. I will be back to you again next week. <laughs>